it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Get ready. I know you've had a big week. Uh, thank you very much for being a part of this as we continue our Ukrainian coverage of what it means for the world and for the next 20, 30 years. That's how much I think it means. That's why Russia has got to go down and they got to continue to face the humiliation. The world is uh, visualizing it right now. They are way overrated, uh, but we are not out of the woods yet. They are without any conscience, just killing civilians at a dizzying rate. Kali Shimkis at the bottom of the hour talking about uh, other things from the Hunter Biden situation on down, uh, as well as what's happening with inflation, as well as this war. And General Robert Spaulding in just a moment, former White House Senior Director for Strategic Planning for the National Security Council. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He talks about Hunter Biden's hard drive. Uh, he talks about Conspiracy theories. The whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Most of those charges unverified. Charges so heinous, I'm not even going to say them. They're like, <laughs> what are they talking about? I don't know. Some laptop. Yeah, what are they talking about? Some laptop. Told you so. Hunter's laptop, the emails, all real. The content, all true. We all knew this before. You knew this before. But now all the media outlets mocking it before. All the platforms make sure the masses did not see Hunter's laptop and the possible implications of then-candidate Joe Biden. Now the New York Times says, oh, yeah, we looked at it. It's authentic. Number two. I don't think China has a clear sense right now of where they are. This has put them in a really awkward position. We need to put pressure on them. China is the, the one country best positioned to bail out Putin now that he has dug himself this hole and that our, and our sanctions and the unity of the West against him. Wow. Uh, Adam Smith, Democrat, ally or enemy? That's how the message has to be from President Biden as he gives meets with China's president this morning. Biden has to tell the world, tell him that the world's sanctions will be the price they pay along the way. India, you'll face the sanctions, too. It is too important for us to get Russia down on the mat. Number one. How many Russian soldiers have been killed in what the Kremlin still refuses to call a war? It's a criminal offense in Russia to quote anything but official figures. And those are 498 Russian servicemen dead. That was on March the 2nd. There has been no update for two weeks. Well, the U.S. thinks there's 7,000 Russians dead. Four weeks of war. David holding off Goliath. Ukraine has yet to give up any major city. Russia is bombing everyone and everything in firing range, alienating almost all allies, leaving Putin rambling on Russian state TV last night. We'll bring you the play-by-play and let you know why the bear must go down in flames, and we'll do that with uh, General Robert Spaulding. Uh, He's also the author of War Without Rules, China's playbook for global domination. Uh, General, welcome back. Thanks. Great to be back, Brian. General, how would you assess it from, from the Russian perspective? How's the war going four weeks in? Well, I think um, they obviously bogged down and now they're using death and destruction as their strategy. But, you know, ultimately what they're looking to is their lifeline and their lifeline is on their border. And, and that's China. And so, 
you know, I think this conversation that uh, Biden and Xi are going to have is really important. But in a larger sense, Biden cannot break away from the U.S. corporate sector and financial sector who's backing China, which means that we've got a big problem with regards to Russia. Uh if they are backstopped, I mean, do you think China would be foolish enough just to say, here's some weapons, here's some money? Not just that. I mean, that is literally Russia's only lifeline, and absolutely the Chinese Communist Party is going to back him. The reason is when they invade Taiwan, they need Russian energy. They know that they're going to have to have that, and we can block the Straits of Malacca, and that's their, where they get their energy. So they're looking for that giant pipeline that they're building with Russia to be their lifeline for Taiwan. So but absolutely, they're not going to cave. The, the flip side to that, they've never seen such a united Europe. They've never seen such a united NATO. Uh, they've never had an ally who's been basically vilified justifiably by the entire world. Do they want to be Russia's only friend and risk sanctions at a time in which their economy is not that strong? Well, they control rare earth metals. They control microelectronics. They control the productive capacity. They're essentially the supply chain of the world. So even if we said that, what are we going to do? It's going to collapse the economies of the West. So we're in a stranglehold. We used to be the productive lifeline for the world. We sold that to China. So what do you think? What do you think, knowing what Joe Biden does and how little progress we've made, uh, and even this, uh, I guess Jake Sullivan spoke seven hours with the Chinese. I have no idea what they were talking about because nothing seems to have changed earlier this week. What do you think will happen? Well, I think the Chinese are going to continue to support Putin. They have been supporting Putin. Of course, they've tried to make it look like they're not, but they absolutely are. And the the choice that we really had, you know, and we saw this, you know, in the first year of the Trump administration, we have got to get off this you know, cocaine addiction of China and really build our own supply chain, because when this time came and it came earlier than we thought with Russia invading Ukraine, because we know the next thing that happened is China's going to invade Taiwan. So we need to repair that and for our own country and for the rest of the free world. So let's take a look at uh, what is going on with Russia. I'm seeing these reports from state TV, which is really for a government TV. It's their only news service. And they went from talking about taking Kiev and Ukraine not being a real nation run by neo-Nazis to now saying we have to secure the Donbass region and get those new roads in Crimea. Do you think they're realizing this is way too costly? We're having very little. Uh, this is having very little uh, ground gain in the last 10 days that we might have to come to a t- uh, plan B. Well, I do. And I think, number one, as you know, $300 billion of their reserves are unavailable to them. So so what would the, uh, the administration has been talking about is trying to drive a wedge between China and Russia. And I presume what they're thinking is we want to be closer to China. But actually, this Ukraine disaster for Putin might be a way for us to drive that wedge, but bring Russia more into the fold. So if they're not successful and they see their economy being destroyed, it could be that Russia decides that it's better aligned with the West than it is with China, and we have a better outcome. But if we try to take this and say, hey, we're going to go on China's side, they are going to continue to drain us. Uh, also, it, it seems to indicate that Putin, by the way, who was appearing with members of his staff, is now appearing by himself. He also seems to be worried about the economy. And last night, 20 minutes into his rambling, he totally lost himself, according to people who've been studying Russian TV. 
And many people look at him and go, he doesn't look well. How does that factor into all this? Well, you also saw that there is a number of private jets that left um, Russia for you know points unknown. So I do think that the the rest of the elites uh, see that this thing was an actual huge mistake and a huge um, um, problem for for Putin. So I think he is um, worried about his continued. Uh, success and survival. And I think he's going to rely on China to do that. And so that's the thing that we have to understand is those two are linked together in a way that needs to be broken because ultimately China controls the productive capacity and is far more powerful than Russia, but they can supply that help to Russia to keep them going. Yeah. I want you to hear what Dan Hoffman said, former CIA station chief in Moscow, cut eight. We're seeing Russia's outreach to China uh, which is really an act of desperation. Remember, those two countries are closely aligned. I wonder if China's got a little buyer's remorse at this point, given the way that Russia is behaving. And remember that Ukraine's number one trading partner isn't Russia, it's China. And the Chinese stand to lose a lot economically because of this war. Interesting. Uh, and then you have the unexpected emergence of President Zelensky. I mean, I, I don't remember when somebody has really been able to galvanize the West like he has one parliament, one con- congressional address at a time, from Germany to England to Canada to the U.S. Isn't it extraordinary, General? Well, you know what it shows is the power of the narrative when you have used military forces. I think when Russia and China are using kind of the underhanded means to uh, get what they want, like I talk about in War Without Rules, then I think it's a little bit different. It's harder to see that narrative shift. But what happened is when you start killing people, when you start bombing cities, when you start levering, leveling civilizations, now the narrative begins to shift because there's no way to get around from that. There's no way to unsee that. And so I think you know it, it, it would be nice if China would respond to that and not uh, attack Taiwan. Unfortunately, what you find, and this is, so people ask me, is, was Putin going to invade before he invaded? I said, absolutely. And they said, why? This doesn't make any sense. It's going to crush him. And I said, they can't help themselves, right? This is the way they think. And we ex- expecting them to act like us is just ignorant of the fact of the type of regimes they have. They don't have checks and balances. She wants Taiwan. Putin wanted Ukraine. They are going to move. See, what I think what you're saying is when the West tries to reason with Vladimir Putin, he looks at it as weakness. Every time they're worried about being too provocative, it's weakness. Every time they they say, you know, uh, we we want to sit down and talk leading up to this invasion, it's weakness. He only understands strength. Why can't people understand the West that our opponents have different rules? Well, because what happens is when the politicians try to act with strength, it scares the financial community. It scares the business community. And therefore, they are, they're essentially incentivized not to do that. And unfortunately, this is what happened prior to World War II. You know, thankfully, entering the Cold War, we had Winston Churchill, had great stature, came to St. Louis and said the great Iron Curtain's falling over the world. We no longer have people like this because for 30 years, they have essentially been corporatized. They have been brought into the boardrooms and the, and the financial centers of the country, and that's where they're taking their cues in terms of great power politics. We have to think more ruthless than 
Putin and Xi if we want to survive this. Yeah, but not ruthless. We'll never be a society that bombs civilians. I mean, just think about the way we approach war, and you're, you're a general. I mean, we, if there's a civilian casualty and it's not, and we make a mistake, we own up to it almost every time. There's investigations. Uh, there's payments to families. Um, and and we, we fix it. We have precision weapons just for that reason. I have never seen a modern army supposedly uh, supposedly with uh, subscribe to some type of values on the battlefield haphazardly just wreck cities like this. Kharkiv, we're watching it. Um, we're seeing it in three or four cities, just random shelling of hospitals, schools, uh, and uh, apartment buildings. Well, when I say ruthless, I mean ruthless to the regimes. Okay, what we did to Putin, even to the point where we have to get off Russian oil, I'm talking about cutting off the billions of dollars that are flowing into China because all China is going to do is tune around and help the Russians with that. So when I say ruthless, I mean ruthlessly strangling the regimes that are doing this. Are we not doing that now? We're still technically buying uh, Russian oil. We, have, we helped Russia be able to meet their debts and not default this month. Are we doing everything we can? So what's happening is we're not buying Russian oil, but the Chinese are buying Russian oil, and we're sending money to China that they're using to buy that Russian oil. So, I mean, what, it's just the same thing we had with the Taliban in Afghanistan. We could not kill the Taliban because they kept going to Pakistan for support. And there's no way to solve that without dealing with Pakistan. There is no way to solve Russia without dealing with China because all that happens is Wall Street sends China our money and they help give that money to the Russians. Belt and Road Program is a program that has Chinese influence through a series, like almost like extortion. They come into these poor countries, give them money when they can't take when they can't pay him back, they take the property from ports to airfields uh, and who knows what else. We have to come up with our own program, only we wouldn't do it uh, so deviously, correct? No, we did this during uh, the Cold War. We had the Marshall Plan. Remember, we rebuilt Korea. We rebuilt Japan. But we also built the institutions of democracy, not just in those countries, but internationally. What the Belt and Road Initiative seeks to do is create an authoritarian order. When you look at Tedros at the World Health Organization, when you look at the United Nations, what China and Russia have slowly done is begin to change the character of these institutions that we create. And have them be more subservient, more reliant, more influenced by China and Russia. And that's our challenge today. We have to break that. So you're right. We can't be China and Russia, but we have to be the version of ourselves that we were as we came out of World War II. We have to rebuild our industrial base and we have to rebuild the institutions that support individual liberty, rule of law, free trade, those things that we hold dear and that ultimately protect us from the outside. Yeah, it's a big wake-up call. Uh, We have a chance to get rid of one of our demons, and that is Russia, and we have to make sure they are diminished when this conflict is done. General Robert Spaulding, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, bottom of the hour, Carly Shimkus next to you, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There are things that are going on in the world that have been kept from you. Terrible things that you should know about. Ukraine did not start this war. Neither did nationalists or Nazis. Those in power in the Kremlin started this war. When my father arrived in Leningrad, he was all pumped up on the lies of his government. When he left Leningrad, he was broken. Physically and mentally, the Russian soldiers listening to this broadcast, you already know much of the truth that I've been speaking. You've seen it with your own eyes. I don't want you to be broken like my father. Your lives, your limbs, your futures are being sacrificed for a senseless war condemned by the entire world. And to President Putin, I say, you started this war. You are leading this war. You can stop this war. Uh, that is Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm sure you know that. He's got Eastern European roots. His dad uh, fought for the Nazis in, uh, for Austria, uh, and he makes no bones about it. And he says, listen, he was lied to, and he wishes uh, to, for the Russian people to get the truth, but they can't. They kicked out of almost every Western press. Uh, who they basically said, if if you do broadcast from here and we feel as though you're saying inaccurate, inaccurate information, you're going to be arrested. They've already arrested between 14 and 17,000 of their people. My census is much greater. And when those body bags come back and there's Western estimates of 7,000, uh, all hell is going to break loose. Niall Gardner is watching what's going on today, knows what's happening, and uh, knows what's happening with uh, President Xi and President Biden today and knows they got to make something happen. Cut 11. Joe Biden has been far too deferential towards uh, Putin. There's this constant sort of fear in the White House about escalating things, about provoking uh, Putin. You know, this is the mindset of appeasement and cowardice, frankly, from, uh, from Joe Biden. He hasn't been leading from the front. In fact, he's been sleeping from behind on the Ukraine uh, crisis. And his refusal, for example, to cooperate uh, with the Poles and sending MiG-29 fighters to the Ukrainians, as they have requested. This is a staggering decision by the White House, throwing Poland under the bus. The- uh, that is uh, true. Uh, I have to see the President Biden is going to step up and say, listen, I'm not that good at speaking, but I will tell you this. According to the cards in front of me, if you, if you go ahead and supply Russia with arms and money, you're going to get the same sanctions. I don't think they want to risk that for Russia. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. He talks about Hunter Biden's hard drive. Uh, he talks about conspiracy theories. Whole a smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Most of those charges unverified. Charges so heinous, I'm not even going to say them. They're like, <laughs> what are they talking about? I don't know. It's a laptop. No, no. And he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking. Of course he is, Leslie. Come on. Baseless conspiracy theories about Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. Do you ever wish you'd had Apple Care? Yeah, that would have been a good (laughs) (laughs) So funny. That was Jimmy Kimmel. Don't you have Apple Care? Not only did Hunter Biden get caught with laptop, all these horrible pictures of crack and hookers 
and emails and illicit international deals implicating his dad. But it was totally ignored. If you retweeted the story the New York Post had uh, or you found a way to get it somewhere else, your account was frozen, including if you were a Kayleigh McEnany, the press secretary. It was extraordinary. If you brought it up, they brought it down. They said this is Russian disinformation. When no knowledge, anybody would say, okay, just Hunter, is that your email? Uh, He wrote to your dad. Did your dad write back, who was the vice president at the time? Is that your email? But we never got to that point. And you just heard some of the retorts from other members of the press. And then once President Biden gets elected, Hunter writes a book and on the book tour says, I don't know when it comes to his laptop. Coley Shimkus, the audacity of that book tour, I still can't get over. But now the New York Times yesterday says, oh, yeah, that that stuff was real. Yeah, that's right. Hunter Biden is just the yuckiest. I mean, it's just the yuckiest oh, person. Oh, crack hookers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the the drugs, the prostitutes, the refusing to pay child support, uh, the fact that the laptop showed that he frequently used the N-word, and the media just completely let that Forgot one slide. That. Total self-obsession. Uh, but those are all the personal things. Where it becomes a national story is when he's trying to cultivate uh, business relationships with China. 10% for the big guy. Who's the big guy? Well, it could only be one person, his father. Um, that's what the signs point to. And then he sits on the board of Burisma, zero experience in energy, when his dad um, has the Ukraine it has Ukraine in his portfolio. So uh, the question is, did these countries try and, you know, get some favors from uh, the Biden family? Um, you know, and that's where I think this ho-hum image of Joe Biden just completely crumbles and he becomes more uh, of like a Clinton family type situation than anything else. Just right. Like all uh, the others. Trading on his name to get millions of dollars, but it just would go in uh, Hunter's account and then it would somehow get into Joe's life. That's the accusation. But the fact that everyone's ignoring this, he does a book tour, he says he feels totally, he obviously says he feels totally protective. The reason why we can't get around this story, the New York Times made it be clear, it is true. The New York Post came back and said, are you blanking me? Of course I know it's yeah, true. That was a good article. Where, where were you two years ago? Yeah, I know. And then you have, I, 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 you mentioned this on Fox and Friends, um, I hate to steal your thought. Uh, but you you ta- you mentioned the fifty uh, former intelligence officers who all you know wrote this. I guess it was a, a a letter. Maybe it was it was according to Politico that they all signed on to this letter. And they say I have it right here. They said uh, we want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails provided to the New York Post by President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, are genuine or not, and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement, just that our experience makes us deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case. Fast forward to today. Fast forward to a year ago, we knew that that wasn't true. But it was signed on by all these uh, top people like John Brennan. Um, And... uh, yeah, and people just were completely – I think that Russian um, disinformation was, you know, the, the thought of the day. So people right. bought onto this. Bill, uh, Bill Barr, uh, I'll be on with him this week. He'll be on with me this weekend on One Nation at 8 o'clock. He said this uh, to Jesse last night about Hunter when these revelations broke. We already knew it was real. The New York Times finally got on board. Cut 20. As soon as this uh, letter came out from these so-called intelligence uh, specialists, the DNI, John Radcliffe at the time, and the FBI, which worked for me, both came out and said this was not the result of disinformation, Russian disinformation. The media ignored that completely, just kept on going with the disinformation line. 
So they got away from what the government was saying mm-hmm. and more towards what pol- politicians and people out of the government were saying. Yeah. So for standing. So Miranda Devine looked at this. And by the way, when I went to look at this laptop, they said it is so vile if I looked at it with pornography they said laws. This to you? Uh, well, here at Fox, I said, can I just take a look at the laptop? Can I see what's oh, on there? And they said, no. And I said, why? They said, because by looking at it, there's so much pornography, and some of it evidently is child pornography. What? Yeah, that I couldn't look at it or be implicated. Are uh, you kidding? Yeah. Me, so I don't know how Miranda Devine pulled it off, but Cut 18 is her. She wrote "Laptop from Hell." We published uh, truth, the stories that were real, and have continued to do so without fear or favor. But unfortunately, the New York Times readers have been kept in the dark by their, their newspaper, their organ of choice, and that was for deliberate reasons. It was because they wanted Donald Trump to lose the 2020 election. So all journalistic ethics and standards went out the window. Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable. I think they saw what happened with the Hillary Clinton laptop, um, right. the Hillary Clinton server situation, so close to the 2016 president, uh, presidential election. They didn't want that to happen again. So whether or not this changed the course of the election, you just don't know. Uh, you could debate either Wouldn't side have of this. It, but I think the bigger point is that the New York Times, a, a, a newspaper that's supposed to be objective, was trying to help uh, Hillary Clinton. Facebook. In this case. Twitter, yeah. mm-hmm. all social or media. Joe just, Biden, excuse yeah, me. help Joe Biden. Yeah. So you know what? Number one, I, if I'm President Obama, I'm a little ticked off because I'm like, what were you doing? Why are you flying to Mexico? I see that picture with her, Mex- uh, with uh, Hunter doing some deal with some Mexican leader. Why are you in the Ukraine? Oh, what was going on there? Like, are you trying to do side right. deals so while you're working in my administration? Air Force Two with Hunter Biden goes in and and uh, forms some fund with some Chinese executives. That's embarrassing. Yeah. You know. I don't think Barack Obama's the type to even want to do these. Number one, when you get like $15 million to do a book deal, you don't really have to do a uh, a hazardous deal with China on some monetary fund. Yeah. So, so my, my point is this. This will come back around. And my always thought is as soon as the mainstream media or the Democrats feel as though they want to turn the page on candidates – the Hunter story will emerge. Well, that's what uh, – is that why the New York Times is, is publishing this now? Is it like, okay, we we helped him when we supported him and now, you know, now we're ready for the next Democratic candidate? He's yesterday's news. His administration is in the tank and we don't want to – we don't we don't feel like we need to carry right. the Biden administration's water anymore or, the, you know, I don't know. The baby mama, I think stripper, I'm not sure mm-hmm. what she does now, that – Hunter denied that he got pregnant. First, they didn't know her. That's just and then, and that, was, ugh, everything and, about this guy. I know, kills me. It can't get worse. I know it's gross. Uh, so there was video of the, him going in and out, and they had a relationship. And the guy said, "No, no, she, she's lived here." So I already, I don't really have a relationship with her. And then she talked to the IRS, and evidently he got her talk. You know, do we, but when you're on crack, people say you talk a lot. He, she taped a lot of this. Wow. Obviously, it got out. So my thing is she is going to blow him up. Well, you know, it's funny um, that we're, what, like five minutes into this conversation and we oh, haven't even. We're talking about strippers. Well, no, we haven't, we haven't even mentioned the fact that apparently he owed over a million dollars. He didn't pay a million dollars in taxes. I mean, are you kidding me? How is he not in jail? I know. Al Sharpton, too. Yeah, if I didn't pay a million dollars in taxes, I would be in prison right now. There wouldn't be this lengthy investigation. It would just be, okay, you're going to jail. And then he takes out a loan, pays it back. I mean, that's absurd. It is. Uh, the person he's doing a deal with the China is under arrest. I haven't seen him. 
His uh, de- his partner Devin Archer is in jail. Uh, John Kerry's son backed out of this deal, and he says, "I'm going to be a painter." Why would you choose such a complicated life? Just why can't just you know just become a he was a lawyer. Just stay. Just do that. Or a dentist. Yeah. Were you thinking that? I, uh, I heard once that the uh, profession that is the least stressful of all of them is a jeweler. Because you deal really? with happy people. Yeah. People getting married. Um, right. Buying nice things. Are you thinking about that? Well, so if there are any jewelers out there. looking in the train. Call in and let us know your stress level. Right. And also, Carly, you need to be trained. Would you be willing to be a jeweler? I would love to be a jeweler. You'd be happy. Yes, I, I would. I, I need it. I think I would be able to take more naps than I do now. I, I, yeah, naps are something that adults shouldn't do. You, oh, you don't nap? No. I cannot imagine you being a napper. You're right. Not really. I enjoy it, a nap. Right, not intentionally. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the border and the war. Is that okay? Sounds good. We also have something else to talk about. I just can't think of it at this moment. What, in terms of... I had I thought I pulled something for Carly, thinking her in particular would like this. Oh. Let me just take a look at this. It is in my notes. Um This is riveting radio, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Find out what I'm Pete on... Davidson Pete Davidson just backed out of. Pete Pete Davidson backed out of something? His relationship with Kim Kardashian? Back in a moment. Oh, <gasps> Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, Carly convinced me to talk about the war a little bit, so I will. But uh, Carly Shimkus is here before she starts her weekend, and rumors you might be off. You might be off I, Monday. I might be off Monday. Although I have a long day today, I'm doing um, Gutfeld, and I might be doing Waters World. Or no, yes, well, no, it's not Waters World. Oh my gosh, I'm prime time. Yeah, prime time. Right. The I artist long- formerly known as Waters World. I have longer day. What is it? I'm hosting Laura tonight. Brian, how know. do you do it? Well, I'm no. Are I'm, you a machine? I do cannot you, go. Can I feel a I pulse? cannot go out. <laughs> what I'm, is? But, you are the hardest working person. I know you always hear that, but I would like to say it now. No, you no. are the hardest working person. You're doing three shows and Gutfeld, who's mentally who's mentally ill. He is not well. You know, Greg Gutfeld. He's not emotionally stable. I love him. Do you we're really? not. No, yeah, oh, we're not he's, gonna. He's we're not, not gonna well. go there. You sure? He's fit. He is well. Right. He is a well man. Allison, what do you think? He is as well as they come. Brian's feelings get a little hurt that he always gets picked on. Oh, well, he does make fun of your backpack. Do you still do that? Do I still have a backpack? Yeah, why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> why do you? <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, there's, a, it's a, there's a briefcase. You could do oh, that. please. Yeah. Although do I, I don't, look like a briefcase I don't really see a lot of guys using briefcases anymore. Exactly. Yeah. My husband uses like um, a bag that it's like shoulder? a shoulder. Yeah, shoulder bag. Yeah. He goes across his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Looks so weird. That's kind of weird. You don't, <laughs> don't you think so? Calling out my husband. Yeah, if you don't mind. Um, um, well, do you also have a, a lunchable in your backpack? No. Okay. I want to make my own division. <laughs> I want you give me cold cuts. I know instinctively to separate that from uh, pita bread. 
and carrots. Yes. I don't need compartments. Oh, oh, you just want a whole mishmash smorgasbord. Yeah, I would like to pick up my own stuff. Oh, yeah. I believe my life, all lives should be a la carte. They should not be assigned. (laughs) So, um, no, uh, but but he's not well, and I'm 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 sure off the air you'll admit it. So, Carly, I just want to be so I don't forget because I'm I'm known to forget this. Mm-mm. What is Pete Davidson no longer doing? I don't know. Was I you supposed really to know? Google this in in no. the break? Uh, he is not going up in space like Michael Strahan. He was supposed to go up in Blue Origin. Oh, was he? Yes. Oh, I see. I didn't even know that. He's backed out of it. Oh, so the reason we're talking about <clears throat> Pete Davidson just as background is because I think it was on your radio show. Uh, we talked about Pete Davidson once, and you said, do you understand why he's dating? Do you understand the appeal? Because yeah. all these women. And I said, I said, I kind of do. And it's only because of his personality. Right. Yeah. I mean, you he's think got, he has got a great personality? Well, How do you know? Well, because he's funny. Right. Yeah. And So most stand-up so comedians, from what you see on stage... Yeah. You, you, well, he just has to be a really good conversationalist, which there's there's an attractive element to that. Really? Right? Confident? Yeah. Confident is Confidence great. Confidence is great. How about, how about money? Um, well, it depends on who you are. Kim Kardashian has a lot more than I'm sure Pete Davidson does. Right. So I don't think it's money for her. Scenario. Yeah. A guy, uh-huh. great conversationalist, great conversationalist, funny, yes. ton of friends, teacher. Yeah. Um, More attractive than um, than, a than an attractive celebrity. Jerk. Yeah, for sure. Right. Looks fade, Brian. The personality. I think that women are more attracted to personality than than men. Is that? Am I going to get in trouble for saying that? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I don't think I said anything wrong there. Hmm. But as a man, I should chime in. Okay, go ahead. Yes, so, I spoke for I spoke for you. You spoke for me. I don't think you yeah. can speak for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if I can speak for all men, but they are. If there was a vote, I'm sure I would be elected as male spokesman. Oh, yeah, without of, a doubt. Uh-huh. Of the world, mm-hmm. not even of country, of every language. <laughs> I would think – what was the question? Um, if men – okay, so I guess it, the question would be are men more attracted to personality or looks? Ooh, that's a tough one to answer. Right. I mean the the thing that, that has most men tap into the personality is the looks, gets the attention. Yes. But the sustainability. Oh, Brian, this is why you are who you are. That's the best answer ever. Is it really? That's a good true. Answer? Well, it's just uh, yeah, it's the, true, and um, but then again, you get in no trouble. But well, yeah, what happens is you, if it's if if that person's an inch deep in terms of, I got to need a woman in touch with their emotions. Just be interesting to talk to. Right. Right. I, because the, you want an emotionally detached woman. Wouldn't mind. Who, you know, right. can carry a conversation over hard a cup to rattle. of coffee. I like yeah. a, a woman that's hard to rattle. <laughs> yeah. You, a water cooler conversation is much more than being uh, emotionally mature for you. Thank you. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, to the war. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we kind of did this out of order. But here, here's, what, uh, here's what I would say about what's going on. I am the most fascinating story was in Politico today when they've been reading, uh, watching national Russian news. And uh, evidently on 30 minutes into the uh, – 30 minutes into Wednesday, 20 minutes into his 30-minute address, Vladimir Putin lost himself. Wow. Lost his train of thought. Is no longer talking about taking Kiev, a non-country, Ukraine being a non-country that's really run by neo-Nazis. Now he's talking about the need to settle Donbass region, how Crimea needs to be updated and uh, revised. And how the whole world's against him. 
Like that, and they said that, according to people, he does not look well, no longer taped with his advisors. Don't you find that interesting? I do find that interesting. Um, It makes me feel like he is nervous and maybe uh, recognizing the reality of the situation. And I also heard that he spoke to the um, Turkish president and named his terms. And um, in the most specific information that we have seen, um, can I list them? Okay, so going from easiest to hardest— uh, he said, uh, Ukraine must not apply to NATO. Easy. Zelensky has already said that he's indicated that he's willing to remain a neutral country. Protections for the Russian language in Ukraine. Which is weird. Uh, w- weird, but okay, that's fine. I'm sure that that would be okay with the Ukrainian people. Um, the country will have to go through a denazification process, which is insane and insulting uh, because uh, – Zelensky is Jewish, but um, to save his people, I'm sure that he may, you know, make a statement or something like that. This is where it gets hard. Ukraine's going to have to disarm, according to Putin. And then also Putin wants to meet face to face with Vladimir Zelensky. I think that's the first time he said that and talk about the Donbass region, like you said, in Crimea. Right. That's where we are. Uh, yeah. The the whole Russian speaking thing, it's a, it's a folly. But that's the main reason he said Crimea, mostly Those Russian like speaking. Saving things Donbass. Yeah. yeah. Non- mm-hmm. and, and you see that. Uh, Kharkiv is 98% Russian speaking and they hate him. Yeah. Nobody wants to be Russian because they happen to speak Russian. Yeah. Um, the, I think it's very interesting. And I think this is so smart that Vladimir Zelensky finally said, I'm not going to talk about what kind of weapons are coming into my country anymore. I want to support the Russians. I think the Biden administration and all these NATO countries should do the same thing. I'd rather not have this information and have those weapons in the country surprising Russians than knowing about it. Right. So even when you're off over the next few days, you're going to be talking about this. You know that, Of course. I, I, I honestly will. It's all-consuming, and I think it should be. It's an important story. A global small talk. Exactly right. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I'm coming to you. Uh, from New York, but heard around the country and I hope around the world. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by James Carafano. If you want to know what's going on in this war before it happens, he's the one to do it. And Miranda Devine. As you know, Hunter's Laptop, she wrote the book Laptop from Hell about Hunter's Laptop. Everybody you know knows that was a real laptop. Even Hunter denied, did not deny it was his laptop. Pretended he, on crack, he forgot it was his. But no one ever asked him the emails, the pictures, are they you? He said, I don't know. We all know the answer is yes, and now the New York Times does. What does it say about the rest of the media, social media especially, that it was all – your account was frozen if you retweeted that story. New York Post said theirs was frozen till after the election, and yet nobody could poke holes in the authenticity of it. But 50 intelligence professionals, a lot of them well-known like John Brennan, like Michael Hayden, like Leon Panetta, all said this is Russian disinformation. Miranda Devine on that. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He talks about Hunter Biden's hard drive. Uh, He talks about conspiracy theories. The whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Most of those charges unverified. Charges so heinous, I'm not even going to say them. (laughs) What are they talking about? I don't know. It's a laptop. Yeah, it was all happening. And I'm sorry, uh, Jake Tapper, if it's so heinous, but that's what crackheads do. Uh, So, told you so. There we go. Find out what we do from here. Next. 
Number two. I don't think China has a clear sense right now of where they are. This has put them in a really awkward position. We need to put pressure on them. China is the, the one country best positioned to bail out Putin now that he has dug himself this hole and that our, and our sanctions and the unity of the West against him. There you go. Adam Smith, Democrat, ally or enemy. That's what has to be the message sent from President Biden to President Xi. It's got to be happening and it better be happening now. Initial readout was uh, very generic, but it's still happening again. This meeting taking place. Why? Because if China does not backstop Russia, Russia goes up in flames and a lot of Ukrainians live. Number one. How many Russian soldiers have been killed in what the Kremlin still refuses to call a war? It's a criminal offense in Russia to quote anything but official figures. And those are 498 Russian servicemen dead. That was on March the 2nd. There has been no update for two weeks. Americans say 7,000 Russians dead. Four weeks of war. David holding off Goliath. Ukraine has yet to give up a major city. Russia is bombing everyone and everything in firing range, alienating almost all allies, leaving Putin rambling on Russian TV. He's attending a rally right now. It's well attended, uh, and they're celebrating the acquisition of Crimea. So there you go. Russia's not done yet. At least those people there don't look like they're there at gunpoint. Uh, let's bring in James Carafano. Uh, you guys have been watching James on the channel for a, for a long time. And uh, James's title... Uh, reads like this. He is Heritage Foundation Vice President for Foreign and Security Policy. James, welcome back. Hey, it's, I, it's good to be on the incredible Brian Kilmeade show because the, the regular Brian Kilmeade show, this is like way better. So, I really- think, so you find you have so many different venues to choose from. You find radio Brian better than TV Brian. You know, I love talk radio. I think talk radio is the savior of this country. You know, on so many issues, inflation, you know, what's foreign policy, the border, everything, the administration's underwater. And, and why is that? And I believe it's because people look around their communities, they see what's going on, they know it's not right, they talk to their neighbors, and then they go looking for where can you have honest conversations about what's – and it's on talk radio. I think talk radio is the savior of democracy. I think someday they're going to put a statue up to Rush Limbaugh. And, and he's going to be on Mount Rushmore next to the other guys. You'll probably be there, too. Uh, well, we'll see. There's nobody close to Rush. But uh, so far, if you look at the David versus Goliath story, uh, David's holding on. Civilians are paying the price. But you see in almost every major city, the Russians are on the outside. Why? Um, you know, so I think it's a combination of the fact, uh, the advantages of the defender. I mean, the Ukrainians are fighting on their own turf. It's very difficult to train. You're either in frozen ice or liquid mud. Um, there are still like 40 million Ukrainians in the country. Every one of them is eyes and ears for the defenders. Um, and the Russian military has, you know, a couple of faults. They had a, they had a plan to occupy the country, not to fight their way into the country. Uh, their military has some significant training flaws, which we've seen. Um, the fact that the pilots are afraid to fly into Ukrainian airspace and they fire from, from Russian airspace shows that the, the pilots are just not well trained to deal with even minimal air defense system. The troops on the ground, it's very clear that all these big Russian exercises were for kind of bully posturing, but they weren't actually training Russian troops on how to fight. And then the logistical system is bad, but they haven't fought a war in years. I mean, even when we went into Desert Storm, we had all kinds of troubles and challenges because you, know, you have to practice and exercise these things. So you add those two things together, and then the, and the incredible bravery of the Ukrainians. Look, let's be honest. If this was over in two days, we all would have just ducked our heads down and looked the other way and moved on. But because the Ukrainians held out and fought, 
the West, you know, found its courage, and now we're giving them ammunition. Now we're giving them medical supplies. Now we're giving, now we're giving them the, the muscle of war that allows them to fight, and that's why we are where we are. So we are where we are right now, and that is Ukrainians are starting to push back on some major cities, but a lot of people are concerned that they're trying the, that Russia will try to get Odessa, get the West Coast, and the, and the Black Sea, the coast, and they'll just say, okay, let's negotiate. We'll stay where we are. You can keep a country. Do you believe – where would you start uh, when it comes to peace talks? Well, I think it's very important for the Ukrainians to fight as long as hard as they can until it's the Russians that are crying uncle. Because, you know, what you find is never negotiate with the Russians from a position of weakness because they'll just eat your lunch. You, you have they have to have something that they need from you. So so if the if the Ukrainians don't fight uh, to the point where the Russians are actually losing, a negotiating isn't going to go well. I, I don't know where it'll end up and what they'll have to negotiate over. Um, the one thing I would say is, and this to me is the most important thing that nobody is talking about, regardless of how this ends, win, lose or draw, the Russian military is going to be exhausted. Uh, it's going to take them months, if not years, to rearm and refit, which means, one, Putin cannot be a military threat to anybody for a while. And if we don't take advantage mm-hmm. of that opportunity to strengthen our defenses, decide where the front line is, then that, dude, that's just that's just bad on us. The other thing I'll say is in this interim period, again, win, lose or draw, Putin has got to find ways to be dangerous because that's because he, you know, he's only relevant if people fear him. So whether it's energy or assassinations or, you know, sneaking around sanctions, Putin is going to find ways to continue to poke at us, even though his military can't threaten to invade people. So we've got two years of kind of a dangerous, wounded animal Putin and uh, an opportunity to reset the security situation. And if we don't take advantage of that to do peace through strength, to do energy independence, then we're just idiots. Uh, no question. But this is a chance to really, number one, he's humiliated on the world stage. We see his antiquated equipment. We see this lack of courage from his soldiers. Now we're seeing some reports from the field that their tank columns are getting hit. And when they do, the tanks, other uh, tanks in column, turn around and try to go the other way. Uh, so they try to uh, they try to avoid being hit. So they, they try to retreat immediately. They say that's a lack of organization. They also are, are using telephone and analog phones. So it's so easy for the Ukrainians to understand what they're talking about. There's no encryption. So not only are they bad at communicating in different parts, not only did they attack from too many different angles with too few troops, but they couldn't even communicate to each other. So they got to use the Ukrainian phone system. So, look, every the reason why we have been so weak and unhelpful here is is uh, Biden just reacts, right? He waits for and, and look, I was in the military for 25 years. The one thing they taught you was you never want to be in a situation where you're waiting for the enemy to decide the time and place of what to do, and then you're reacting to that. That's always giving them the advantage. And and Biden has not just been he has been leading from behind. He's kind of been following the pack the whole way. And again, however this ends up. We've got to we've got to switch over and become proactive. And and the things are rebuild our military, get our allies to do more, become energy independent, and then underneath that, unleash this economy so we can power those three things. I mean, what really worries me, you know, we just talked about, you know, maybe we'll have months and years to kind of really get back into the game. But you listen to the president's State of the Union address. Did he talk about rebuilding our military? No. 
Did he talk about energy independence? No. Did he talk about the economy? The things that he said, if we actually did, would make our economy worse, not better. So the three fundamental things that we have to do to make sure that Ukraine is not the crisis before the next crisis, our president has shown no interest in. And that makes me wonder how optimistic we should really be when he's talking to President Xi right now. Mike Gallagher weighed in on that. What's at stake? Because if China backstops Russia, they'll be able to fight on. If not, they could collapse. I mean, their economy, they almost defaulted this month on their debt. Evidently, we backstopped them. I'm not sure why. Cut seven. Well, I think the best chance we have to force a negotiated settlement that is favorable to the Ukrainian people, that preserves some semblance of a free Ukraine, is to continue to put hard power in Putin's path. I agree with what the chairman said about providing lethal assistance. I think there's more we can do on that front, particularly figuring out how we get some air defense systems from Slovakia to the Ukrainians. But I also want to make sure that we don't allow Putin to set up a sanctions evasions hub in Iran. And certainly if China decides to intervene on behalf of Putin by providing military assistance, we should be prepared to punish China for doing that. Above all, we can't allow the fear of escalation, though we should be cognizant of it, to dominate our efforts. It should be Putin who fears our escalation, and that's the best chance we have for some form of negotiated settlement, in my mind. And if we could somehow get China to stop writing checks or stop buying oil, that would help, too. What do you think about that? Uh, Mike Gallagher, former Marine, now in armed services. Yeah, I mean, it gets back to, and again, I'm, look, I'm not partisan. You know that. I, mean, I don't even belong to a political party. I'm, so I, when I pick on the president, it's not because I, you know, I don't like, it's just because I'm you know, calling balls and strikes. The problem is, is that the Russians, the Iranians, the Chinese, they respond to what we do, not what we say. What Biden likes to do is he wants them to listen to what he says, but he wants to do as little as possible. And, uh, you know, Mike is exactly right. What they will respect is if we put stuff on the table and do things with hard power. And to hear him and the, the Democratic majority leader, Adam Smith, stand up together on Fox News and say exactly the same thing, to see Democrats like Senator Jack Reed stop up and say, we need peace through strength, that's where the courage and the backbone of this is going to come from, not from the White House, but from leaders in Congress on both sides, standing up and saying, this nonsense has to stop. You know, we cannot be the weak need guys sitting in the back of the room thinking that we're going to protect America and its interests in the future. So good for Mike, good for Adam Smith. That We need more of that kind of courage. So right now we see that Kharkiv is being slammed, uh, Kiev is being slammed. Uh, we know that uh, uh, Mika Pyle is on the other side. They're getting hit pretty uh, uh, pretty hard. Maripol is getting hit pretty hard, but they're both sustaining. If we can get provisions in there, how long does this take place? How long does this go on? And with the new weapons coming into the country, now that they're fighting so hard, do you wait if you're Ukraine to gain the upper hand? Are you that confident that you'll have a – the longer this goes on, the stronger hand you'll have? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think – honestly, I think if, you know, again, after kind of introducing chemical weapons or nuclear – I, I think the Ukrainians can fight on forever because if you look at the, all the things you just described are the things the Russians can do, which is they can lob firepower at a long range against fixed targets. Doesn't mean they can hit critical command and control nodes, forces in the field, uh, anti-tank defenses, ambushes. They can basically blow up stuff. And 
it's it's incredibly destructive, and it fills your eyes with tears. And you're killing innocent civilians, but you're just creating a lot of rubble. That doesn't actually diminish the capacity of the Ukrainians to hang on and fight. And eventually, the Ukrainians are going to build up enough capabilities that, that they're going to be able to counterattack. And here's the problem. If you're just a bunch of Russian columns stuck on the road, dude, you can't go anywhere. You can't go forward, but you can't go back. So the Russians are potentially in danger of getting to the point where they can't retreat other than getting up and abandoning their vehicles and walking back home. That is a, you know, and, and the Russian response to that is just going to be killing more and more innocent people, destroying more and more things. You know, this gets to a big problem that nobody's talking about. You know, we all talk about the millions of refugees that have fled Ukraine. Um, by the way, in the, in the last few days, 300,000 Ukrainians have gone back into the Ukraine Amazing. to fight. Um, but there are millions of people that are internally displaced inside Ukraine. So those are people that, are, that have gone to the western part of the country, and they're in the part of the country where they're shooting is, but, but they don't have a home, they don't have food, they don't have clothing, they don't have equipment. And so the Ukrainians have this massive internally displaced population, and the, and the, the formal international community, the International Red Cross, the U, they've done nothing. They're sitting in Poland. You know, okay, I grant them they're helping out in Poland. But the real crisis for the Ukrainians is feeding and taking care of the displaced population in Ukraine. And so far, the governments of the world and these international organizations have not shown the courage to go in there and help those people. And that's a big problem. And that, I think we got to find some way to do that because these people are starving to death. Uh, James, thanks so much. Appreciate your breakdown. Thanks for, thanks for the, a great show and the opportunity. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. All right. Thanks, you. Appreciate it. Uh, we come back. Your turn. one 408 Then the other major story, uh, the, right under this, and that is New York Times has concluded what we all knew, that the Hunter Biden laptop and the emails authentic. The laptop is his. What does that mean? Uh, nothing good for Joe Biden. Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It was March 2011. Uh, Vice President Biden was in Moscow. I was with him. Tony Blinken was there. Uh, We met with Putin for several hours. And at one point in the conversation, uh, Vice President Biden was saying something very logical in terms of U.S.-Russian relations from my point of view. And Putin leaned in. He's always very dramatic in these meetings uh, when I saw him. He leaned in. He he stared at the vice president. And he said this. I'm paraphrasing, right? But he said something like this. He said, Mr. Vice President, you look at us. And he went like this on his white skin. You look at us and you see our skin. And we look like you. And you think we think like you because we look like you. But we don't. We don't think like you. It was really dramatic. Uh, And his point is, and I think it's a point we all need to understand and remember, we have our ways of thinking about what's rational, what's logical, cost-benefit analysis, but Putin's got a different calculus in his head. He doesn't care about losing Russian soldiers. Uh, If it means a revolution, yes, but he's got a tight totalitarian regime in place. I 100% agree, and that's from the outsider perspective who has never met him one-on-one. I think the craziest thing is, we keep trying, Anthony Blinken and company keep trying to say, well, he's not going to do that. It's not going to work for him. Uh, we'll give him incentives to be able to, uh, to join the economic world. We'll kick him out of the G8, but we'll just suspend him. We won't ban him. This way, there'll be an incentive to come back. We'll give him sanctions. But we'll leave a window of opportunity to reapproach us. 
But no, they're poisoning leaders, killing their enemies, opposition candidates they put in jail like Navalny. They assassinate others, and then they blow up countries that they don't like because they don't want to have countries like Ukraine, don't want to have leaders that Russia picks for them because they don't want to be Russian. Just take him for being evil and work your way backwards. When we come back, talk about evil. That laptop is evil. Now we know it's all true. Miranda Devine on that. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It was all true. The laptop was real. The eyewitness was real. The emails were real. The news was fake. And the disinformation came from the fake news, not from, not from the, as, the, as the, these intelligence agencies said, you know, from, from Russia. I mean, give me a break. We, and, and here's, I'm reminded of uh, uh, the title of one of Rush Limbaugh's uh, uh, books. See, I told you so. You told him so. So many people told us so. But no, no, no. Big tech and the, and the, and the mainstream press all colluded to keep this story from the American people. And that is uh, Jim Jordan last night when the New York Times admits that their fact checker said that laptop was real from 2020 when it emerged at a computer repair shop and came forward. And Miranda Devine got a hold of it, wrote a book uh, called The Laptop from Hell. Miranda, what was your reaction? She joins me now. What was your reaction when that came out in the New York Times? Hi, Brian. Well, look, it's sort of bittersweet, isn't it? I I mean, I don't really regard it as a vindication, although people are calling it that, because uh, if you were a reader of the New York Post or a Fox News viewer or a Brian Kilmeade listener, you already knew this story 16 months ago. You knew that the laptop was authenticated. We had already done all the due diligence on it. Uh, So I, I... you know, it's just that the New York Times has caught up. And um, unfortunately, uh, its readers were in the dark for all that time. And so now that the election is well and truly behind us, um, it's safe for them to come out and, and admit the truth of what we already knew. With, uh, when you went, finally went through the laptop, how much worse was it than you thought? And what do you think some of the revelations, you know, you see him with hookers, you see him smoking crack, uh, you see some of the emails... There's a lot of stuff there that are unexplainable and and almost impossible to ever bring mainstream, right? Yes, and look, I mean, Hunter Biden's personal um, depravity is one thing. I mean, the re- the only reason that's actually important is to say that there's no way he would have been paid millions of dollars as a businessman um, for for his own sort of acumen or hard work or talents. It's all because, as he admitted himself, because of his father. He was a bag man for his father, who was vice president for eight years uh, with power over those parts of the world. Um, and so uh, the, what's in the laptop that's really important and, and, and which really shocked me was just the extent of the um, sort of compromising position that Joe Biden put um, the country in. I mean, now he's president and uh, Russia and China uh, and Ukraine know how many millions, tens of millions of dollars went into uh, bank accounts uh, associated with the Bidens and their business partners in America. And, uh, you know, that's something that at least half the American people aren't aware of. Um, you know, I mean, before the election, um, it was really the New York Post and Fox News that were reporting 
on this story. And big tech decided that they were going to censor the New York Post story that Emma Jo Morris uh, had written so well. And um, that that meant that that story just never really got to half the American people. And we know from polls after the election that um, half of Biden voters had no idea about the laptop scandal and what it meant. And um, a fully 10% of them would have changed their vote if they had known. So that would have made a difference to the outcome of the election because uh, this was an election decided by, you know, 40 3,000 people in a handful of battleground states. And um, so that's the real crime here, that the media and big tech decided to censor a story that was negative about Joe Biden simply because they didn't want Donald Trump to win. Here's the attorney general at the time, Bill Barr, cut 20. As soon as this uh, letter came out from these so-called intelligence uh, specialists, the DNI, John Radcliffe at the time, and the FBI, which worked for me, both came out and said this was not the result of disinformation, Russian disinformation. The media ignored that completely, just kept on going with the disinformation line. Unbelievable. All right. Think about that. If you're the attorney general, really, I've just got ignored by by the tech companies, by the media and therefore the people. Right. Absolutely, because anything from the Biden administration, they just discounted. They refused to see that it had any credibility. And yet these 50 senior former intelligence officials like John Brennan, James Clapper, Michael Hayden, Leon Panetta, these people who used the prestige of their former positions to sign that scurrilous letter before the election saying that the laptop and the material that the New York Post Mm. had been publishing was Russian disinformation... I mean, what a scandal. That is, uh, that was an insult to Tony Bobulinski, Hunter Biden's business partner, who confirmed it all. He's a Navy veteran. Uh, it was an insult to John Paul MacIsaac, the guy from the laptop repair shop who uh, actually was the whistleblower who handed that laptop over to Rudy Giuliani in the first place. Um, it, it, it just, those, those intelligence operatives, those 50 formers, um, they are, a, they are, it's a scandal. They, they've shredded their reputations by what they did. They put their finger on the scale. They let Joe Biden off the hook before the election. And of course, that letter was used as the fig leaf for the rest of the media and big tech mm-hmm. uh, to excuse them for censoring our story and ignoring it. And here is some of that, 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 that commentary at the time, October 2020, cut 17. He talks about Hunter Biden's hard drive. Uh, He talks about conspiracy theories. This whole smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Most of those charges unverified. Charges so heinous, I'm not even going to say them. (laughs) What are they talking about? I don't know. It's his laptop. And he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking... Of course he is, Leslie. Come on. Baseless conspiracy theories about Joe Biden and his son, Hunter. Do you ever wish you'd had Apple Care? Yeah, that would have been a good one. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel was the last one. So having said all that, what happens now, Miranda, if the New York Times says, yeah, there's valid stuff on there, is someone going to investigate that? And does, does that mean it's all in play and they're going to try to find out who the big guy was and go to the IRS doing things like that? We hear about his, uh, his baby mama coming forward, sitting down for hours with the IRS. Yeah, look, I mean, now that we're all on the same page, now that it seems that uh, the other half of the media is uh, deciding that, yes, 
Hunter Biden did have a laptop. It is real. The emails are authenticated. Now that that they're agreeing with us, maybe we can move to the next stage, and that is actually looking at what's in the laptop and the wrongdoing that it shows uh, by Joe Biden and his family uh, compromising America's national interest uh, in, in countries that are now obviously in play, Russia, Ukraine, China. Um, and, you know, uh, Hunter, Hunter Biden uh got a lot of this money, but Joe Biden, what was his involvement in his son, Hunter, his brother, Jim's foreign uh, paymasters, and that included all those Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs that are now being uh, sanctioned. And uh, I mean, it's no, no mystery why Vladimir Putin sanctioned Hunter Biden, added Hunter Biden to that list of sanctioned Americans. Uh, that was a shot across the bows of Joe Biden. And the fact is that China, America, uh, sorry, China, Russia, China, um, Ukraine, they all know what went on. They all know the money, the millions of dollars that went through to the Biden family. They know what they got in return. The only people who don't know are the American people. So at the very least, there should be some transparency and some journalistic curiosity for once. Yeah, and we'll see where it goes. I always thought this, Miranda. I always thought that when the Democrats were done with him, then they would start pursuing these storylines, not make something mm-hmm. up, but pursuing the storylines at loose ends. You know, and I've said this to you before, if I'm President Obama, I'm a little ticked off. You were doing what? You flew to Mexico to take, the, to take in this meeting with your son? Now you go, your son's out there trading on your name in my administration and getting a job he doesn't deserve over in the Ukraine? Now you're over there threatening prosecutors? Can you just do your job? I mean, this, this, uh, this, if it was my administration, I'd be a little, uh, a little aggravated. Well, no. Look, uh, the Obama people knew uh, there were frequent um, attempts by their um, sort of ethics people, or actually lawyers, to try and rein in um, Biden and his uh, his influence peddling operation. Um, Hunter complained bitterly about not having free access to uh, his father's office after the Obama people stepped in. I mean, it was negligent in the extreme of Barack Obama as president to outsource that important work to Joe Biden, knowing full well, even before he chose him as his running partner, what he was like, that he'd spent the last four decades influence peddling in Delaware, and he just uh, internationalised it. I mean, this was when they were vetting Joe Biden to join Obama's team before the election. Uh, That was their number one problem was Hunter Biden and the sort of uh, grace and favour jobs he was getting, the lobbying money he was getting. So they knew full well what they were getting when they when they hired Joe Biden for their team. And uh, now to hear Walter Schaub, who was the Obama ethics czar, uh, you know, stand up and act all outraged about Hunter Biden's um, art grift. Well, I mean, where was he when Joe Biden was uh, monetizing his power as vice president. They knew what was going on, maybe not the full extent, but they didn't ask the questions they should have. No question. So, uh, Miranda, I think you should re-release your book little by little so they can, the New York Times evidently has a lot on their plate. Now they just admitted the emails. Let's put your emails, the ones that are most uh, the most thought-provoking, front and, uh, uh, front and, uh, straight, uh, front and forward. Yeah, that's right. Well, look, I mean, the New York Times has ignored the book, so maybe they'll they should just have a read of it. That's all. Just read it. And then see where we go from there. Uh, Miranda, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Laptop from hell. Back in a moment.
Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Father, uh, before I begin, bless me, Father, for I'm about to sin. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> well, I just want you to know, I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid. I married Dominic Giacoppa's daughter. <laughs> what is that even mean? What does that even mean? Trying to be funny. Trying. Right. I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid. Yeah, I don't know. What the hell? I mean, out of all the things he's done, it's really pretty low on the scale. But remember, he had that <laughs> other problem on, on St. Patrick's Day. He goes, God bless her soul. God bless her. She's still alive? Oh, that's great. What am I talking about? So, I mean, he killed somebody off that wasn't supposed to die. But to be fair, sometimes all of us make fun of our ancestry. Really? And uh, being an Italian, I need to shave a lot. I'm only kidding. I can't say that. Well, <laughs> that's true. But I think that's fact. But I don't think saying Irish are dumb. You could say they drink a lot. Well, I mean, that's also just a generalization and a stereotype, which is probably true. Right. But um, yes, no, I agree. Calling a whole group dumb is not a wise move. I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid. That makes sense. But Italians might be hairy. Right. That is true. But by the way, where is his wife? I, usually she's guiding him around, so I don't know. She, I never see her with him. Remember that Melania, we thought it was weird that Melania was never around? I see less of Jill. And she's more needed. You know, let's be honest, you know, President Trump never really needed consultation. He was pretty confident in his decisions. That's true, but I will say every now and then, right, there's all those videos of her, like, guiding him on the stage or off the stage or pulling him away from the microphone. Really? I haven't seen much you of that. Pulling him away that? from the microphone? Yes. There's been times, like, people ask, or people are shouting questions at him. She's like, come on, Joe, we got to go. There was one, I think, right before he left maybe a week or two ago. He was walking in the helicopter, and she grabs his arm to pull uh, him she, away. Yeah, she doesn't want him answering any questions, which is sad. Eric, who's in WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian, what do you call Irish sunblock? A pub. Hey, uh, I just wanted to, you got everybody all riled up with this Hunter Biden news that we all knew about. Um, Any one of us would be indicted already. And uh, it kind of ties into Jesse Smollett, where he just got released. Um, I think, I suspect it's partially because he was screaming, I am not suicidal. Was that, did he like in a genius way signal to everybody, I have news on my conspirators and they better not do anything to me? I mean, what's going on in this country? What's your take on all this? I think Justy Smollett's just a moron. And uh, just the fact that what he got caught doing to think he was going to pull that off to try to get sympathy to get a better contract from his TV series is absolutely nuts. And they continue to lie about it. That guy, I, I don't think he's worthy of a minute of our time. But I do think that it's amazing to me that Hunter Biden is doing these multi-million dollar international deals, and he never seems to have any money, and he never seems to pay any taxes. He got to pay off a million dollars of his taxes, but you don't do any jail time because of that? They said the investigation is still happening? That's unbelievable. And another thing is, is that they know, his family knows he's got a drug problem. The last thing you want to do if someone has a drug problem is put undue pressure on him, because when they have pressure situations— Something as big as a as small as a family gathering, which you may not like the judgment of some of the, your extended family, to something like an international business deal, that makes you relapse. That is relapse just to add water 
in a cup. So that to me is unbelievable. In terms of what came out the other day, I look for more come out because I think there's some legitimate reporters at the Times will now say, hey, do me a favor. Try to find out what's on that laptop. But when they see, it's going to be unbelievable. Molly Hemingway weighed in last night. Cut 21. Everything that corporate media have said about this story is a lie, whether it was about whether it was Russian disinformation or not, whether it was about when the investigation even started. You know, we learn now that this investigation started during the Obama years, um, whether Joe Biden was involved. (laughs) We have eyewitness accounts from people who put their name behind it, who say that Joe Biden was involved in this family business. And yet nobody in the media, very few people in the media, have done what they should to uncover and really explain to Americans what the consequences of this Biden family business are. And what it should be. So the guy who got the laptop, he just happened to have a computer repair business in Delaware. His name is John Paul Mac Isaac. He's got his family's big into into the military. He wasn't necessarily. And he was being threatened with his life for having this laptop and turning over to the FBI and turning it over to Rudy Giuliani. He does not feel threatened now, Cut24. It's hard to remain scared for so long when then you replace that with frustration and then a drive and a motivation to fight. So it's uh, I'm not I wouldn't say I'm scared. I'm cautious, but I'm not scared. Wow. So can you imagine that? I just want to give the FBI this seems really bad. He dropped it off. I tried to get a hold of him. He's not calling back on the back of the thing is a. There's a bumper sticker, and it's about Biden. Joe, it's a foundation for Bo Biden, his brother. Cut 25. It's hard to tell. I mean, it's last time Ukraine was in this kind of or close to this kind of situation, Joe Biden was in charge. And now he's in charge again. And last time Joe, or at least Hunter, profited greatly off of uh, his dad's direct involvement with Ukraine. Uh, I think this time around, uh, Joe needs a distraction more than he needs money. Hmm. I think that this could be an interesting distraction. Right now, Ukraine will suck up all the oxygen. But when things slow down, and certainly if 2022, things are going to heat up. And as he tries to heat it up and blame the oil companies for the rise in inflation, uh, rise in uh, oil prices, and when he starts talking about inflation, the cost of everything going up and tries to shift blame, I wouldn't doubt if the Republicans say, by the way, who are you? What were you doing? Where's your son? And why are these emails to you seem to implicate you? I would not be surprised if that came up, certainly if he tries to get another four years. But I can't see that. You see how exhausted he looked yesterday? Vladimir Putin is speaking to a big rally in Russia, so he's not ready to acquiesce. We have the latest. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Don't forget, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, One Nation. I'll be on Fox News Channel. I'll be filling in for Laura tonight on Laura Ingram Show, so that'll be great. Uh, we'll go over some of the guests. Uh, we're all going to be uh, keeping up with what's happening between the president uh, and the president of our country and the president of China. We understand that uh, the meeting has ended. We have a small readout to, to share with you. We're going to go to Amy Kellogg over in London. 
Uh, she's our foreign news. She's our senior foreign affairs correspondent, as well as uh, dip in with Guy Raz, founder and CEO of Built It Productions and creator of How I Built That podcast and author and uh, author of the New York Times bestseller, How I Built This. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He talks about Hunter Biden's hard drive. Uh, he talks about conspiracy theories. The whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Most of those charges unverified. The charges so heinous, I'm not even going to save them. They're like, <laughs> what are they talking about? I don't know. It's his laptop. No, no. Yeah, what are they talking about? Told you so. Hunter's laptop, the emails, all the correspondence. They are really ugly, really intriguing, and really disturbing. Now we know for a fact, according to the New York Times, that it's all true, which we knew about. But anyone who wrote about it before the 2020 election, well, they had their accounts frozen, disabled. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Number two. I don't think China has a clear sense right now of where they are. This has put them in a really awkward position. We need to put pressure on them. China is the the one country best positioned to bail out Putin now that he has dug himself this hole and our our sanctions and the unity of the West against him. Yeah, uh, Adam Smith, uh, Democrat, uh, on talking about uh, is he an ally or enemy? That has to be the message President Biden is giving China's president. You you don't have to be our best friend, but if you're going to prop up Russia and extend this war, you're going to get some sanctions. We'll see if that message was actually relayed, because it certainly seemed to be intimated that it was going to be threatened. Number one. How many Russian soldiers have been killed in what the Kremlin still refuses to call a war? It's a criminal offense in Russia to quote anything but official figures. And those are 498 Russian servicemen dead. That was on March the 2nd. There has been no update for two weeks. Wow, uh, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? Steve Rosenberg on the BBC. Four weeks of war, David holding off Goliath. Ukraine has yet to give up a major city. Russia is bombing everyone and everything in firing range, alienating almost all allies, leaving Putin rambling on Russian TV. We'll bring you the latest play-by-play and let you know why the bear must go down in flames. As we bring in Amy Kellogg, uh, Amy, I was struck to see that it looked like President Putin was having a major address to a huge stadium, I guess on a day in which they were celebrating the acquisition of Crimea, the annexation of Crimea. But for some reason, Russian TV cut away from it. I don't know what you make of that. Yeah. The Kremlin has just said, Brian, that that was due to a technical glitch on the server. I, you know... Uh, that's what they said. We will see. Uh, everyone is very suspicious about what was really going on. If, some, if there was some sabotage inside or whether there was hacking from the outside. But he was what he was trying to say, and I don't understand why this would have been so controversial, because the Kremlin put it out after the fact, was that the what he calls the special military operation in Ukraine was launched on the birthday of a 17th or an 18th century general naval commander whose career was only bathed in glory, who never lost a battle. And it was sort of by way of saying that Russia will always be victorious. In any event, I find, uh, Brian, the, the scenes of that stadium packed with young people to be rather astonishing. I don't know whether they were corralled or whether there are that many supporters who are willing to go celebrate the, what would it be now, the sixth anniversary, the eighth anniversary of the annexation of Crimea. 
Right. Uh, just to give you an idea, Amy, I'll just tell you what the readout as that I've had from the Chinese uh, president meeting with our president. So it looks like it looks like uh, it says China, uh, president, China's she tells Biden uh, they cannot advance to the stage of confrontation. The Chinese state media says that she says conflicts and con- confrontation, not in the interest of anyone. So uh, peace, security are the most cherished treasures of international community. That's according to the Chinese state media. So we don't really know what took place, but there was a lot at stake, wouldn't you think? There's a lot at stake. There were rumors swirling around. There was an article in a German newspaper yesterday saying that Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, had been on his way to Beijing perhaps the night before, and his plane had been turned around mid-path. That was never stood up as far as I know. The Russian foreign ministry spokeswoman laughed when one of the journalists asked her about it yesterday, rolled her eyes. But certainly if that had happened, it's not likely she would have confirmed it. So that's kind of interesting. I think right now everyone is waiting to see whether China will step in and try to pull Putin back from the brink. I think at the beginning there was a sense that if this went quickly— and Putin got what he wanted, she would have been very happy, uh, certainly given his interest in Taiwan. But now that this is turning into a long, protracted bloodbath that has alienated Russia and, by association, China um, from the rest of the world, he's and it's hurting international commerce, he's probably thinking very differently. But that we don't know yet. And I think uh, it is it is widely believed that he is the only person who could help help Putin or, yeah, help Putin with his off-ramp. Amy, you don't know what reality is, but the word is that for some inside China that they are really shocked the struggles that Russia's had and the brutality of this fight and the fact that it's still going on a month. So they would, and they are needed for, for supplies and for arms. So they can't just say, well, I'm friends with them. They got to buy their oil they got to backstop their economy after these sanctions, and they might even need more armament. So they got a, China's got a big decision to make. They do, and uh, that is clearly going to be a red line for the United States and probably the rest of the Western world if, if China were to supply weaponry. I mean, Brian, we know that Russia is desperate right now. They're bringing in Syrians they say they're, these Syrians are just dying to come fight because they think the cause is is so um, is, is so righteous, which I don't think many people outside believe. And I've heard they're going to pay them a couple thousand dollars a month to come in and, and do this fight. And it would be easier, certainly, for non-Slavic people to, to open fire on Slavic people, I suppose. But he's bringing in people from the Middle East. He's got these brigades of Chechens who have— Obviously, a lot of um, uh, a, a, lot a thousand, of anger right? towards Russia. Yeah, uh, at least. So he's bringing in all of these outside forces. I think part of that is what is making this battlefield so grisly. I mean, we are here in London absolutely uh, grieving for the loss of Pierre Zakshevsky, our, our cameraman who was killed in Kiev. And our grief is multiplied so many times across Ukraine by people, for people there who've lost loved ones. I mean, it is just utterly devastating. And when they're firing at children and journalists and people in bread lines, they're, you know, it's a mess. And I don't think that, I don't think this is an organized military operation. It seems like it's just a bloody free-for-all. 
Which, what does that tell you about the armed forces? You used to being with armed forces somewhat organized or terrorist organizations that one of their greatest assets is they try to do um, in a, you know, unorthodox things to try to dislodge established armies. I never thought I would see a modern army aiming for apartment buildings, schools, and hospitals. But that's exactly what we're looking at. We see them trying to kill press. We've seen that with the, uh, with the Sky TV reporters. They're saying they're press, and the Russians just kept shooting. We don't know the details of what happened to our guys, our people. Benjamin Hall's crew uh, and Pierre lost his life. We don't know the circumstances of that. And I got to ask you, if, if, if you believe that your sources are telling you that Vladimir Putin uh, has totally miscalculated here and is beginning to panic. There's a story that's been making the rounds in Russia, and this is absolutely not confirmed, but it is an interesting – I'd like to just tell you, because if it ever does turn out to be true yeah. – uh, it would be interesting that the KGB or the FSB, it's now called, was supposed to be or a, a branch of it was supposed to be paying off people in Ukraine to turn on their own people, to join the Russian side. And it never happened because the money was pocketed in Moscow. And so some heads are rolling there. So, again, Brian, this is this is making the rounds in Russia. I don't know if it's true or not, but if it were to be true, it would be. Uh, it would be an example of how corruption is eating up the old Red Army. And the other issue here, and this I think is uh, fair to report on, is a lot of these soldiers who've been taken captive, the Russians have said on camera that they did not know that they were headed to Ukraine. They thought they were on training exercises on the border. So I think that there, if, if you've got a lot of people like that in theater, then you certainly aren't going to have an organized effort. In terms of the poverty of the forces, we've seen or we've seen video of them looting stores to get food. That, to me, is quite startling because you'd think you could at least equip soldiers with um, the very basics. But it seems to me that that normally when there's a war, people are able to tell their families where they're going. And, uh, and it, it appears here that there's been a lot of last-minute surprise factor, which which would make sense when you see that the mm-hmm. the operation is getting very bogged down. Yeah, I see Japan and Australia have uh, offered new san- uh, put new sanctions on uh, Russia. We know that. It's also, uh, they did kidnap another mayor. We found that out. People are concerned about Odessa that want to see Ukraine, like me, uh, prevail in this. Uh, they think there's an effort underway to try and surround the city. And now the Japan has warned that Russian warships are heading west, possibly towards uh, Odessa, Ukraine. So you wonder if if uh, Vladimir Putin has his way and they can take Odessa, then go into talks, then they could say they gain land and they and it's going to be coveted land, and Ukraine would give in and they could say that they got something out of this. I could see that scenario, but I don't see Ukraine giving in too much right now. No, I don't see Ukraine even giving up the Donbass. And I remember when I was in uh, Moscow at the, in the early days of this operation, and there were perhaps it was even these conversations were days before it started. People were sort of joking and saying, why can't he just take the Maldives and not the Donbass? I mean, I don't think that there are a lot of Russians who really care about these, you know, wouldn't want to be managing these parts of Ukraine. Obviously, Odessa is is a historic and important and strategic part of Ukraine and Crimea as well. But I think and this also going back to Russia for a second here and Russians, Brian, there's so much horror going on. There's so much horror in the hearts of these 
people who do not support the war, who are being arrested left, right and center, part of these new purges eventually that Putin is threatening. I, mean, I don't know the numbers of people who have fled the country, but they, they have been substantial. People just with credit cards that don't work and savings that have been decimated. We're not talking oligarchs. We're talking simple people who simply can't stomach this, who have to leave their country, too, because they they don't see a way forward. So it's uh, it's nothing like what the Ukrainians are going through. But there's a lot of depression right, right now among Russians who clear thinking Russians who know what's going on. And they, they just can't they can't bear to see this and they can't bear to live with this. And uh, lastly, you're in the U.K. Last time, of about a month ago, we were watching Boris Johnson's career was on the ropes. Have people forgotten about the scandal of his parties during the pandemic? I don't think they have. Um, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a colleague about that today. And I think that there were a lot of other things that he did along the way that if you didn't particularly like him or were critical you you could have you could have been disenchanted long before the parties but the parties really struck a chord with people here and uh yeah i don't know when the dust settles i think right now everything is on hold given this war and and uh it needs to it needs to be it needs to be concluded and dealt with i don't know whether that will rear its head again because really apparently brian it really really affected people here i guess the pandemic was so devastating as it was for for everyone and, uh, and this was just a perfect storm of people who were grieving for lost relatives, lost livelihoods, and the thought of people sitting around drinking pints in the Garden of 10 Downing Street really, uh, really struck a chord. I know, even with me, and I'm uh, thousands of miles away. I, I was watching some of that in the morning. It was unbelievable that he would do that, and especially he had it already, too, and he thought it was serious. Uh, Amy Kellogg, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Have a great weekend. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'll come back and take your calls. Bottom of the hour, we take a little break from war and talk about you. Talk about getting into your own business, what it takes with the pandemic, how to have people reflecting on their life. Is this commute worth it? Is this job fulfilling? Uh, That's some of the questions that Guy Raz asks. He'll be with us. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I got this message this morning from Bono. In sorrow and fear, that's when saints can appear. To drive out those old snakes once again. And they struggle for us to be free from the psycho in this human family. Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine and St. Patrick's name is now Zelensky. What well, I mean, what was that? Bono evidently wrote Nancy Pelosi a poem and he read it to everybody? She read it to everybody? You would just hope Bono is a little cooler than that, that he feels he needs to email Pelosi. I would, ho- I would hope so. I mean, it's unbelievable. By the way, what happened to him? He's embarrassed by his own music, says he can't even listen to it, he thinks it's terrible. Can you imagine all these U2 fans who followed him around by all these tickets? And he's like, the, only, the guy who wrote the music or sang it thinks it's terrible? They should all be ashamed of themselves. That's the only thing I could be thinking. And whoever wrote that poem for Bono, he should really, really think that. How, how amazing would it be, though, if like someone just said they were Bono emailing <laughs> Pelosi and then she read it, and so they're getting a good it would uh, be. giggle at home? So uh, on a side note, this won't lift you up, but I have to, I have to share it. 
There's one disaster. One thing people bring up that they say about the Ukraine, we should worry about our own border. And my always comeback is you could do both. I mean, no one's taking the Border Patrol and putting them in the Ukraine to sit in Brussels or to sit in Romania and help with the uh, and help with the, uh, the refugees. So you got to say to yourself, we have to find a way now that spring's coming to stop the surge. Do you know the just the opposite is happening with the Biden administration. They cut $450 million out of the budget for the border while they're putting huge increases everywhere else except defense. They're also cutting defense at the border. Unbelievable. And it gets worse. They are prepared to drop Title 42. Uh, Mayorkas has put that was put in place by the Trump people. Why? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And they said for people to come across illegally, for some reason they let them in. But for males, they were kicking them out, saying you have to have a better reason. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Now, the number of migrants waiting to cross is about 25,000. It would kick back. Now, if they lift Title 42, come one, come all. They've already set records. They expect to have 175,000 people last month, this month, and then much more in April as the weather gets nice before it gets too stifling hot. Do you realize how bad that is? To me, if you want a legitimate election issue, you might say to yourself, there's, two, there's smart people on both sides of how much we should be supporting Ukraine. I'm all in. Because it's a chance to take down a guy that I think is an absolute awful uh, human being, the Stalin and the Hitler of our time, and that's Vladimir Putin. But if you want to say, no, I don't want to do anything, I just want to stay home, nobody is pro-letting illegals into our country, crowding our schools, and blowing up our legitimate election immigration, excuse me, our legitimate immigration system. Guy Raz is next. Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We hit the ground running on what we called our Southeastern fundraising tour. And packed up coolers full of chicken salad to hand out to possible investors. And we pitched to anyone that would listen. In every single meeting that we had, we heard, you want us to invest this much money for a minority share of a business that does not have a single franchise open. Thanks, but no thanks. Laughed out of the room. I'm Guy Raz, and on today's show, how a stay-at-home mom went from selling homemade chicken salad to friends and neighbors to building one of the fastest-growing restaurant chains in America. She calls it Chicken Salad Chick. Uh, That's part of the NPR podcast, How I Built uh, how I Built This with Guy Raz. He's got a book out called How I Built This. It's a bestseller. It's out in paperback. The Unexpected Path to Success from the World's Most Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Uh, Guy is also founder and CEO of Built It Productions. Uh, Guy, welcome. Congratulations on the success. What prompted this idea? Brian, thanks so much for having me. You know, what prompted the idea was my love for entrepreneurship. It is it's it's an incredible story of American ingenuity of of people who who really oftentimes came from nothing and built built these incredible businesses and brands. We just heard Stacy Brown's story of building Chicken Salad Chick. She was a single mom with three kids in Auburn, Alabama, and she built an empire because she knew how to make great chicken salad. And it's an incredible story, and it's a story we hear again and again. And I wanted to amplify those stories, and that was really the beginning of the show. So you wanted to bring that you wanted to bring those out. Uh, when how did you get inspired by entrepreneurship? Were you an entrepreneur too? I guess in starting this, I year. am indeed. Yeah, 
Yeah, I am indeed. I, I've got two media companies. And you know what, what really inspires me, and I think a lot of people listening can relate to, and I think you could probably relate to this too, Brian, is the idea throughout our lives that people say, no, that can't be done, that's not possible. You know, we hear that throughout our lives and our careers, and it can be really discouraging, right? I'm sure you heard that throughout your career. People said, no, you can't do this, you can't be that, you can't do it. And somehow people push through that. You know, and, and what I wanted to do was show that all of these entrepreneurs that we admire, people who started businesses like Pods or Raising Canes or the Leatherman Knife, you know, Tim Leatherman, they heard no throughout their career, throughout their lives, and they still persisted and pushed and managed to create things that have changed our culture, changed our country. And, and persistence, I guess, is one of the key attributes. But let, let's get into some of the stories. How about the creator of LinkedIn? Oh, it's incredible. I mean, Reed Hoffman, you know, he was part of the so-called PayPal mafia, PayPal, PayPal pal mafia. And he came up with this idea to connect people around business, uh, around the things they do, and eventually sold it to Microsoft for, for billions of dollars. It's one of the most influential uh, social media sites in the world and, and something that I'm sure you use, I use, and, and millions of people use every day to connect and to learn. You got a soccer player in New Zealand is on the national team and notices some unused wood. Yeah. And he goes and he starts a company called Allbirds, which is one of the fastest growing shoe brands in the U.S. He wanted to create the world's most comfortable shoe, and he did it using wool, merino wool from sheep in New Zealand and went on to, to build this company that's now publicly traded. And, and I don't know if you've worn them, but they're incredibly comfortable shoes. It was just an idea, and then you have to have the follow-through, and you have to have the patience, exactly. correct? Exactly. It's, it's so much of, of what we – the stories we tell on the show are stories that we know intuitively. You know, you think about a, a company like, like Spanx, the undergarment. Sarah Blakely, a young woman living in Atlanta selling fax machines door-to-door, but has this idea to transform, to create this transformative brand, women's undergarments. You know, she's going door to door trying to get manufacturers to make her a prototype. Everyone's saying, no, how are you going to take on the big guys? Eventually she does it. She comes up with a prototype. And, you know, long story short, Spanx is a multi billion dollar company that Sarah Blakely owns outright that she started in her apartment in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. And of course, uh, I think she, she also managed the, uh, the now owner of the Atlanta Hawks, correct? Husband? Indeed. She's, she's an owner of the Ox, yeah. Uh, I don't think she has to lean on him. He's also a very creative guy. So, so Guy, you have this yeah. podcast on, uh, on PBS, what, uh, NPR, excuse me, on NPR. What led you to that and that idea first before Amazon uh, jumped in? Well, as you, as you mentioned, now Amazon is, is our distributor, and we work with Amazon. Um, you know, look um, – I am an audio guy first. That's that's where I started and that's where I came from. And we really I really wanted to figure out a way to connect with people around a shared experience, this sort of shared view and belief around building an entrepreneurship. Something that I think really connects people all across the board and all across the country. Um and that that was really the genesis of it. You know, this idea that so many people that we know that 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 you know that you know are, are trying to build something, whether it's a, you know, it's a small store on Shopify or it's a brick and mortar store in your town, or it's a, a, a bigger idea that could scale. Um, and 
you know, I wanted to create a space where people could feel inspired to to do that and to think about it and to think big. And you started one of your early jobs when you were 25. You were in the year 2000. You were Berlin, uh, working in Berlin. You covering the Balkans, correct? And the war that yeah. never seemed to yeah. end over there. Yeah. No, no. I started out as a reporter, you know, back um, back when I was younger. And I was overseas for seven years, and I covered Iraq and Afghanistan, and I was based in Jerusalem. Uh, I knew many Fox News reporters when I was out there, and um, some great reporters like Jennifer Griffin. I was in Jerusalem with her, and it was at a different time in my life. You know, I loved that excitement, but now, of course, I'm a dad with kids, and um, and 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 doing doing very different type type of work. But um, but that was a really important part of my sort of early career and learning about, um, you know, how to, how to kind of build a career out of, out of what, I, what I was doing. And when you see what's going on around the world, are you glad you're not covering, let's say, in the Ukraine right now? Are you glad you're not in Berlin right now? Brian, I have so much respect for the courage of the reporters, the Fox reporters and the CNN and Times. All the reporters out there are doing really courageous work to bring us the story of what's happening there. It's a very dangerous work. It's very stressful work, um, but it's really important work. And I, I really admire what they're doing so much. Right. And, but you're glad to be reflecting on. I am. The way people aren't shooting yes. at you. Absolutely. So, yes. yes so it was, if you were to teach a class right now on entrepreneurship and some of the foundation of success that you use, besides the anecdotal things, number one, I get persistence, determination. You have to have a vision. Yeah. But not every yep. – there's some great entrepreneurs who have products that just don't resonate. Is, did you no. notice that when people talk about those failures, were they necessary to find the product or the service that did work? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean think about a company like Slack. You know, Lots of people are using Slack in the workplace now. That started out as a computer game company. Stuart Butterfield wanted to make a massive multiplayer online game, and he did. It was called Glitch. And it failed. Nobody used it. But in the process of building Glitch, they also built an internal communication system that they used among them, among themselves, the people at Glitch. And one day somebody said, hey, you know, this is kind of cool. We might see if we can turn this into something else. And Glitch became Slack, which is now a you know, multi-billion dollar company that, was, that, that really was never intended to be a communications tool. So Sometimes you have to, oftentimes you have to fail in order to understand what you're really going after. And, and, and oftentimes that's revealed through the process of failure. Is there any people that surprised you with the journey when you get, when you get a chance to sit down and talk to him for a couple hours or her? Brian, I'm surprised every time I interview somebody. You know, I just interviewed Todd Graves, the founder of Raising Cane's, the chicken restaurant, the chicken finger restaurant. And I mean, this is here's a guy from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who had no money. He, he, had, he had no family connections. He, he wanted to start a chicken finger restaurant right outside the gates of LSU. He went to Alaska for a summer and worked on a salmon boat, you know, one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, right, um, for three months. Almost died getting thrown off that boat. But he came back with $50,000, which was the money he used to put down a, a down payment on a, a property that he then turned into Raising Cane's, which is now the fastest growing fast food chain in the United States. You know, what's also interesting is that, and you write in your intro, 
when people go to this pandemic, every most people had to put their lives on hold, and they had a chance to reflect. You know, is this commute worth it? Is this job worth it? Am I feeling fulfilled here? And I imagine a lot of them are, and they're a great place where we go to your podcast. But a lot of people were probably saying that, yeah, I'm making a good living, but am I doing what I want? It's such an important question, and what's been so interesting is that if you look at the number of of people registering new businesses, business licenses, EINs, it was at a record at a 20-year high last year, and I believe at the end of this year it will will be even higher because that's precisely what people are asking. Is what I'm doing worth it, and can I be doing something that is more fulfilling, and can I take a risk? And that's that to me is one of the most exciting outcomes of the pandemic. Right. Uh, to say, hey, this is really, really intended to do. You get that job, you get married, you get a house, you got some payments. Next thing you know, you're 45 years old. And you go, am I doing what I want to do? Is it worth it? You also say that around 40 years old is when entrepreneurs really dig in for the most part. That's when yeah. they have their success. People's image is, you know, that 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 whiz kid, 21 year old teenager. But that's not necessarily what the stats say. No, exactly. In fact, first-time entrepreneurs, the average age is 41 years old. And, and actually, when you really begin to hit your stride as an entrepreneur, it tends not to happen until you're in your 50s, sometimes early 60s. You know, we did the story of Bob's Red Mill. It's one of the biggest uh, grain and, and you know baking goods products in the country. You know, it was started by Bob Moore when he was 57 years old. It's a an enormous company now, and so this idea that that startups and 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 businesses can only be started when you're in your 20s and eating top ramen and pizza is a complete myth. That is a time to take risks for sure, but it's also a time to learn, and usually that learning begins to come together in your late 30s, early 40s, when you have the confidence to really take the leap and, and try something new. This is what I've noticed. I don't know if you picked it up. And tell me if, you, if those, that's not what the stats play out. Entrepreneurs aren't usually doing it to get rich. They're doing it to be successful. They want, they want to make it work. They aren't usually, a lot of times, though, they will even notice how much debt they might be going into because all they see is the goal. Is, is that correct? It's the journey, in many cases, to get to that success? It's 100% correct. And the best evidence for that is, when you talk to an entrepreneur whose business was bought out, virtually every single one I've interviewed has gone on to start something new. So Max Levchin, he was one of the co-founders of PayPal. You know, he he walked away with twenty million dollars. What did he do? He turned around, and he started a new company, and he made more money from that. And he turned around and started a new company that is called Affirm, which is a publicly traded company. He doesn't even know how much money he has, and he doesn't care because. What matters to him is being part of something bigger and creating something that has purpose and that gives himself meaning and meaning to people who work with him and work around him. And and when entrepreneurs, you know, when on, on the and the rare occasions when they sell their business and retire, many of them really, you know, they start to get depressed because they miss that camaraderie. They miss the people around them. They miss the exchange and the you know the creative tension that we you know those of us who are, are are lucky enough to work around other people get and so that to me is the number one you know the the best evidence for why it's almost never about the money you know what's so interesting is i did, i read the whole book on phil knight that monster book about shoe dog 
Yeah. And he talked about yeah. starting up Nike and having to cut to deal with Japan and coming up with the innovation and trying to get people to 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 wear his shoes in a major event and having the soles fall apart and then they gave loans only month to month. They couldn't like string it out so he had money he had to come up with every month. And I'm reading this. I'm getting stressed reading it when I finally meet him <laughs> and I'm seeing the size of Nike, this global brand. And I said, well, I, man, I don't know how you did it month to month. And he says, I miss it. I loved it. I said, you loved it? Not knowing if the business is going to work, if you're going to be able to pay your bills, you have a family at home. You loved it? He goes, oh, yeah. So I go, convincing his <laughs> landlord not to charge him rent one week, yeah. one month? I go, I yeah. can't believe that. But, but Brian, it's because it's that. It's the building process, right? I mean, think about your the early part of your career where you were struggling before you were a nationally known name, you know, before before people, you know, you would would take your call, right? When you were still early in your career, there's a part of that struggle and that grind that really does appeal to us. I, of course, at the time it was hard, but it's also the in some ways, you know, that struggle really breeds creative thinking. And it, it breeds this passion that, that we sort of crave. You know, I think about Roblox, this game that every kid between the age of 9 and 12 plays now. And, you know, the founder of that company, David Bazuki, he created this game in 2004. But we really only started to hear about it in 2020. Wow. So, you know, people think of, of Roblox as this overnight success story. But for many years, it kind of hung out there in obscurity. Um and, and you know, you think about this guy who hung on for 15 years, the pandemic hits, and all of a sudden, you know, three quarters of children age 9 to 12 are playing Roblox. And I think today it's a right. its market cap is like $27 billion. It's an unbelievable story. Yeah, if you don't have struggle, you don't appreciate success, even even to drill down even further. Hey, Guy, congratulations on the book and the series on the, on the Amazon deal, and I'm sure the best is yet to come. And I'm sure these entrepreneurs are lining up to get on the show because that's going to continue their success. And you, unfortunately, your phone bill is probably about nonstop people leaving message on your voicemail asking to get on because that's part of the <laughs> mindset uh, of the people that you want to interview to yes. begin with. Yes. All right. Yes. So pick up, yes. pick up his book, guys, How I Built This. Thanks, Guy. Brian, thank you. You got it. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We need to be flexible. And if, in fact, we do see a turnaround and a resurgence, we have to be able to pivot and go back to any degree of mitigation that is commensurate with what the situation is. So we can't just say we're done. Now we're going to move on. We've got to be able to be flexible. She's back. There's a sub-variant in Europe, which spreads even easier than Omicron, but it's so unserious. Plus, if you had Omicron, in theory, we're supposed to have the antibodies. But Anthony Fauci does not want to let go of the reins or let go of the camera. He is still talking, which is unbelievable, considering so much of what he told us about masks, about vaccines, six feet apart. All those things were flat out wrong from CDC to CDC. The only consistency is this guy should have no credibility. Nobody should book him. 
but for some reason he still does. He should walk away while he still has a semblance of dignity because when they do the after-action report on handling this pandemic, it's not going to look kindly on him and what he was doing before. I want you to watch One Nation. Don't forget, on uh, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, I'll be on Laura tonight at 10 o'clock Eastern time. And always listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show anytime, anywhere on podcasts across the country and streaming on Fox Nation. Keep it here. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.